Welcome to the Art and Life Podcast with your host, Taylor Gallegos. Art exists all around us, in all directions, from all walks of life. We just need to know how to see it. The Art and Life Podcast is an experiment in an audio format that focuses on the art and philosophy involved with different people and their life paths. This experiment is intended to inspire you in your creative pursuits, whatever they may be. Follow along as I interview movers and shakers from all walks of life. It's possible to make a life from your art, skill, craft, or vision. These interviews showcase that fact. Listen while you work. Listen while you create. Listen while you dream up the next big breakthrough. First off, I want to say thank you for listening. The people being interviewed and I are two parts of the podcast, but it wouldn't be complete without you, the listener. I very much appreciate your attention and your energy, and I hope you get as much out of this as I do. If you enjoy what you hear, you can join me on this artistic journey in many ways. You can subscribe to the show, leave a review, and share it around. You can join the conversation on the Art and Life Facebook group, where we discuss topics from the shows. You can join my email list on my website at taylorgallegosart.com on the contact page. And while you're there, check out the new artwork I've been creating. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at taylorgallegosart. And finally, you can support my art and the Art and Life podcast on my Patreon page. Just search Taylor Gallegos Art. So again, a deep and sincere thank you for being here. Now, on to the good stuff. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast. I am your host, Taylor Gallegos, and with me today is an awesome guest. She and I work very closely. Uh, you're going to hear all about it. I've known her for years and years and years, and we've seen each other through highs and lows and all sorts of different things, and she's absolutely fantastic. I can't wait for you to get to hear all about her story and uh, and then the wisdom and philosophy that comes out of the conversation because she's got a lot of it all of that so without further ado Lara Austin good morning and welcome to the podcast we've got a little morning edition going here and I have a very special VIP guest with me today this person is an amazing human being uh, we've known each other for so many years and uh, we work very closely together and it is awesome. So Laura Austin, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Taylor. I actually did the calculation just the other day randomly and we're going on 16 years. No way. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I knew it was something like that. I mean, yeah, we've known each other for a long time. We've seen each other through a lot of different things in each other's lives. Totally. Yeah. Um, okay, well, why don't you start by telling the people 
who you are, where you're from, what it is you do. And uh, yeah, that's a good start. Sweet. <clears throat> so I am Laura Austin, as you said. I am in Fort Collins, Colorado. I am here now in Fort Collins, Colorado. This is my home office. I am an entrepreneur, <laughs> which is fun to say because I wanted to be an entrepreneur for a long time before I became an entrepreneur. So the fact that I made it happen is very exciting. Um, so I have two businesses. My first, I'm a certified online business manager, aka OBM, and I help, I usually typically work with business owners and small businesses, and I help them get to the next step by systematizing, hiring employees, or usually contractors, and help managing, along with project management, HR, marketing, I wear all the hats. Um, so at the moment, I have, at any given time, I have six businesses, <laughs> six in my brain, which is a lot. And so I've kind of capped my clients a little bit. I mean, it's hard for me to turn down opportunities. So I'm always having conversations, um, but I am like not putting a lot of marketing into that business right now, just because I am kind of cruising with my clients. And two of the six, by the way, are my businesses, but that totally counts as businesses that are flowing through my brain. Um, and then my other business, I'm, I'm really excited about just because it's new and it's just a whole different side of me. Um, I am a Libra. We are Libras. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> And so uh, this new business, I feel like really gives me a lot of balance as the online business management, virtual, a lot of Zoom, a lot of computer, I feel like it's kind of hard, not in the, like a mean sense, but like a hard and not only like a hard, really tough sense, just like hard versus soft. Um, I should have just said that hard versus soft sense and um, masculine. And this other side is very feminine. And so my other business is called Birth into Community. And I am a doula. So I am working, well, I've been trained through Dona International for postpartum doula, as well as birth doula, um, which is a distinction because each training was like 30 hours on Zoom. So I earned that badge whew, for each one. And so I'm almost, I think like this summer I'll be able to submit for my certification for postpartum. So that one will be certified, um, which is great because I'm really focusing on postpartum services. And I'll just go out there and say it because everyone gets postpartum confused. So what postpartum is, is right after birth, it's that period after birth. So you have a baby, your baby's born, it's postpartum. And typically I'm focusing on like the first 40 days, six weeks, maybe max 12 weeks. So three months of baby's life. Um, and I have visions of a community center at some point in Fort Collins that's really focused on postpartum. So we'll say zero to five. And that has more of like a preschool aspect and just a lot of like 
community between like new moms and families and um, parents. I mean, I'm not even like just on the mom bandwagon. Like I'm all about parents in general and dads and however you identify. So that's, did I answer your question today? I know that was a lot. You did, no, that was great. Um, and then I, and as I was saying it, I usually add one more little bit into the question, which is um, where you're from and how you got to where you're at. So maybe take like two minutes and tell us your quick life story. Well, okay. Um, so I am originally from Northern Colorado. I was born in Greeley and raised in Fort Collins. So I haven't really gone too far. Although I did eventually end up in New York. So that counts, right? That definitely counts. <laughs> it totally counts. Um, and so I, I did, it's, it's funny though, because I- and I got to visit you in New York. We can dive into that in, in part two. There's a good story there. <laughs> when I, I was taking a shower this morning, I was like, I feel like New York's gonna come up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so I, I don't know, my parents never, my parents divorced when I was two. That's what I should say. So my dad lived in Fort Collins, or my, sorry, my dad lived in Greeley and my mom lives in, lived in Fort Collins. They actually, neither of them live here now. Um, and so I spent my time kind of jumping between the two towns, which if you don't know, it's like a 30 mile distance. It's not very far, but very, very different towns, very different worlds like conservative and like liberal and really outdoorsy and naturey and not so much. And anyway, it's been interesting. It's been a really great part of my background, I feel like because of that, just different layers. Yeah. Um, so I moved to Greeley then full, full time when my mom left Fort Collins um, in or right before I started high school. So I started high school, all my high school years were in Greeley. And I just didn't, I have better connections today at almost like getting closer to 40 whoo, from my junior high in Fort Collins roots than I do from anybody in high school in Greeley. That's telling. <laughs> and so- I wasn't yeah, so gonna say anything, but Greeley. <laughs> Greeley's Greeley. Greeley's Greeley. And it has good food. I'm sure it's gotten a lot better now. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Well, so a year or so ago, my dad and stepmom, they moved. So I don't even go to Greeley. We went in March for my dad's birthday. He wanted to go to some restaurant there. And I'm like, fine. And I told my daughter, I was like, we're going to Greeley. And she's like, you mean birthday? I'm like, no, no. Because that's what we still say. We still say we're going to Greeley. <laughs> go visit my parents' house. <laughs> Hopefully, I think you know me better enough to hopefully laugh at my jokes. Oh yeah. Um, so I, high school, the reason why I'm saying that is because that's a lot of my background is I just, I just didn't like it. You know, I didn't really have very many friends and I just didn't like the people and I didn't like my school. And so I just didn't really like myself very much. And um, I, I think it was junior year I just stopped going to school for the most part. I was just like, and then when my parents found out, it took a long time for them to find out. But when they finally found out, they were like, is it drugs? Is it boys? Like, tell me, tell me what it is. And I was like, I just watched a lot of TV and <laughs> hung out at home. I just didn't want to go to school. 
<laughs> Even years later, my dad will still be like, but tell me what really happened. I'm like, that was it. So <laughs> I then decided that maybe to save my my ass in school that I would transfer schools and like start over fresh. And I didn't realize that everything just follows you. <laughs> so I switched high schools mid-year just for that, only to like have all my failing grades come with me. And and then it was like I made it through almost the whole year uh, when my parents found out because I still wasn't going to school. Well, the counselor caught on and the counselor finally got a hold of my parents. And then they were like, she gave me the ultimatum that I was going to get like kicked out of high school. And that was like a little alarming, which I'm like, what did you think was going to happen if you just didn't go to school? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't really think that far ahead. So, um, so I got my act together and basically I had to go to school every single day for the rest of the year. And I mean, it probably was like this point, it was probably like late April <laughs> and like, you know, it wasn't that long that I had to go to school every single day. And um, I ended up actually even like passing one class because it was like all about reading. And um, I read like the whole book and like the final, I did like 110% and the teacher was just like, just gave me a C. <laughs> And that's the thing about Greeley too, okay? So they, I don't know if they changed it, but when I was there, they had ABC and then NG, which is no grade, right? They didn't have Ds, which I think is kind of BS because if they would have had Ds, <laughs> I can't even believe I'm saying this, but it's true. If they would have had Ds, like I would have probably passed actually most of my junior year, but you had to have 70% or higher. So I then, I'm telling you all this, I'm getting to a point, I promise. Um, this is a lot, this is like really like tells you about me, right? So I failed almost an entire year, my junior year. I had all credit, one class <clears throat> that I passed. <clears throat> and we had that heart to heart with my um, counselor. And then I am a child, I'm a millennial, like I'm the oldest millennial but I'm a millennial. And I remember like, I grew up in chat rooms on AOL. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Like I had friends all over the United States that like were like my regular friends that we would like talk and chat to. So there was this guy, right? Oh God, here we go. It's just, it used to be really awkward to talk about this. Now it's not because of all the, just where we are today in the online world, right? But I met this guy and he was like, I mean, we were babies. He was like a year older than me, right? So we we're teenagers. And I think I met him when I was 15. And then when I was 17 in Greeley, in a rough spot, I we kind of started like a romance, like an online romance, right? And then at 17, I fly to Buffalo, no, Syracuse, New York. And without, I told my parents I was going to Fort Collins to like, stay overnight with my friend for the weekend oh my god <laughs> i flew to syracuse meeting a guy i've never met only online that i'd known for years and um anyway it was fine it was great it was like we had a great relationship it was young love and jay was interesting and i still am friends with his mother i love his mom um and when i was okay so so i had this love fast forwarding. And so I had that, you know, the talk with the counselor and I took summer school 
I think it was only like a class or two at the community college. I, had a, I took college in high school to pass, right? So I went to the community college for summer. Um, I took, and then my, that semester of senior year, you know, usually senior year, you take like a couple credits or whatever. I don't even, I don't know, because my senior year was much different, right? I took every credit class you could take. So I think I had like seven classes and then I had night school and I had weekends. Again, the weekends were also like community college. So I was taking college credits for high school. Um, and I graduated a semester early. <laughs> so I failed almost my entire junior year. And then I graduated a semester early. And then I went to New York. I went to Buffalo. That's, so that's where my, my boyfriend at the time, he ended up going to college, was in Buffalo, New York. And so I was like, oh, I'll, I'll, shoot, I hope I can say, can I, can we drop F-bombs on you? Oh, you can drop F-bombs. Fuck, I'll go to New York. So, <laughs> my dad, I was actually just thinking about this because my dad and I hung out yesterday and we like packed up the family minivan, like every square inch. And we drove straight through to Greeley to Buffalo, New York. And I already like found an apartment and I got like, and I got a, an apartment by myself because my ex had to stay in the dorms. Like he had to be in the dorms for two years, like his freshman and sophomore year. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, so I got my own apartment and like Buffalo was fantastic because I was actually able to find, I think it was a one bedroom, not even a studio, a one bedroom, um, 400 some dollars, I think it was a month. Yeah. And then I like got a job immediately at a temp agency and they placed me at, oh, I forgot actually, <laughs> this is funny, I'll tell you. <laughs> My very first job in Buffalo was actually before the temp agency when I was going to sell Kirby vacuums. <clears throat> and I was like sold. I was like, I am gonna, I was pumped, Taylor, to sell Kirby vacuums. Okay. And I had one because they like let you have your one. And like it kind of sucked because like the only I didn't have any carpet in my apartment. Like I was like bummed about that at the time. I was like, oh man, it's all hardwood. And it sucked because I had two cats. I had to get two cats as soon as I got to Buffalo. Sure. Um, and oh, and I moved to Buffalo in January, by the way, since I graduated a semester early. So that was kind of crazy. Yeah, and I didn't like winter. So everyone was like, I don't understand, Laura. <laughs> I'm in love. So <laughs> it was New York. So Buffalo, I can just like wrap that up. So basically I got the apartment. I was there for a guy, I was there for education and I got there, I think I got through six months of living there <clears throat> when I realized that I couldn't ever get or qualify for in-state tuition because I had to be emancipated, which you have to do before you're 18. And it was too late. Oh yeah, I was like 18. I was like, well, shit. And so, and because I was fully if you couldn't tell already, I was fully financially independent. <clears throat> so this whole New York thing, my parents were like, oh my God, well, good luck. I'm like, I can do this. And I had been working at that point since I was 15. Like I'm, I'm a worker, you know? So 15, I've been working since I was 15. That's a long time. Yeah. Like, that's already 23 years of experience. Jeez, that's old. Okay. 
So I find that out that I can't get in-state tuition. I'm like, no way am I staying here. And I was also like, am I here or am I with this boy because I love him or am I with him because he's like the only thing I have in Buffalo really, you know, because I, where I ended up working after the Kirby incident was an ambulance company and it was awesome. Like the people I worked with were amazing, but they were all my parents' age. You know what I mean? Like, and that was fine. Like I've never been an ageist. I'm not a racist. Like I'm a pretty darn open book to whomever. And so having friends that were that age, but my point is like, you don't go out and like, I don't know, everyone just had their own lives and it just, anyway. So I moved back to Fort Collins, <laughs> 19, moved back, moved in with one of my like old high school friends and yeah, I've just been back and then eventually went to community college and then I've just been working and then I went to CSU and did apparel and merchandising, which is when we met. Yeah. We met right when I started at CSU because I had to start at a restaurant job because it was my first, like I worked with ice cream in high school. So I did food service, but I never did like table service, right? And so I needed that like, the cash flow of table service and the flexibility of table service. So I, it was weird though, starting in a restaurant for the first time at 22. And yeah, so that's when we met and I was doing my apparel merchandising thing at CSU and that was awesome. And I was prepared to like move to anywhere in the world, anywhere. I was like, wherever the job takes me, like wherever the wind blows. And then I met Brooke, my now husband senior year of college and I was like oh and he has lived all over the world and the only place that he's ever wanted to put down roots was Fort Collins so I was like all right twist my arm because if you don't know Fort Collins really is pretty awesome and it's fine I've made a great life of myself here and we still travel and it's fine it's great so that's kind of yeah, so, okay, I'm oh, sorry, I missed a piece. So my degree, I am doing my internship in New York City. I got an internship with Donna Karen, New York. Is there a connection there, like a family connection? There is. So my my auntie, um, she had like a lifelong career at Neiman Marcus being a buyer. If you don't know Neiman Marcus, it's like <clears throat> one of the premieres, is that the word? Um, like luxury department stores in the US and it wasn't, I think it's in New York now, New York City, um, but it wasn't for a long time, but they have a store called Bergdorf Goodman's. So if you're like familiar with that at all, it's also just like the elite, like I don't, I don't shop, <clears throat> I don't shop at either of those stores. <laughs> no, can't afford it. But if um, you buy society in New York City, then you would. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So it was really awesome just to have, and like when you understand the fashion industry a little bit, it's very small, right? It's like this little bubble and it's so cool. Like I never really was into like the design aspect as much. Um, I really do love like the merchandising and the marketing and I really wanted to be a buyer. So my aunt suggested that I try to go and be, or do a sales internship just because 
in the fashion world, if you're doing sales, you're interacting with all the buyers. So awesome. So I, my first week in New York was, and it was, this was really good for me because I did Buffalo and I could like, cause if you told people you, you lived in New York, everyone assumes New York city. So it's like, it got kind of annoying to always have to qualify while well, it was Buffalo, <laughs> even though I had a, a fantastic time. I really did in Buffalo. Like it was a city I mean, Fort Collins is a city, but like Buffalo is like a million people city. Like Fort Collins is like a hundred, 175,000 people city. Mm -hmm. So big difference. Um, so that was fantastic to have just like the city experience and like interact with people other than white people. Totally. Yeah. So, um, so yes. Yeah, so having my internship in New York city was like, kind of like a reckoning, right? Cause now I could just say that I've lived in both. I've lived in Buffalo. So I've like lived in the state and I've lived in the city. Um, and I don't, I, I knew that I wouldn't want to live in the city. Like as soon as I was interning there, even before I was interning there, cause in my senior year of college, this is so cool. I had a whole class that was about New York and it was a three credit upper level class. And then spring break, I don't know if you remember this, I got to go to New York with my class and we went to like all the different designer like studios and got to see like their back end works. And it was just the, like, I knew I would never have an experience like that ever again. It was so, so cool. Like Diane von Furstenberg, Tracy Reese. I'm trying to think of like, there were so many that are still like big names now. So that was like real fun. And then like you came and visited me in New York and we freaking rallied. And I was recently obviously in love with now Brooke, my my current partner even. And he came like two different weeks and that was like super fun. We rallied and like my sister came for a little while and my aunt came for a while. Like I was there a very short time, but it was pretty fulfilling. So that was awesome. Yes. So then as soon as like I was wrapping up my internship, I was kind of freaking out because I was like, oh my God, I have to go back to Fort Collins, which there are not a lot of fashion opportunities in Fort Collins. There, there are more now because we do have a fashion school here, um, but just not in comparison to a lot of like city centers even. And so um, I looked online and I opened up the Colorado and the very front page was like my childhood friend's dad who started Otterbox. And I was like, oh, it, man, it's been a long time since I've talked to like this family, you know, maybe like something can happen there. So I did reach out and um, it sounded like a lot of my skills, because I had a lot of work experience at that point and my degree um, matched up to be like the assistant to the CEO, CFO, and the president of Otterbox, which at the time was like just starting to like blow up and just a lot of things going on. So that's when I started wearing all the hats was at Otterbox because I just had to do all the different things. And there was so much going on. There was so much growth and that kind of like, and that kicks me off into my entrepreneurial desire and it planted all the seeds. And so 
I worked for a number of companies for them over a period of, I don't even know, gosh, like seven years, I think. And twice I was laid off. And the second time was like October, 2017. I was like, I am never ever working for a company ever again. I will figure out a business. Like I know what to do. I know I have the desire, the skills. And that I did. I, it took me like a, probably a solid year to figure that out, which was longer than I thought. But once I did hit the ground running and I was like pretty much in the green immediately, which isn't, you don't really hear about that very often about new businesses. So that's awesome. <laughs> so I think that, sorry, that was a lot. Oh my God, you said two minutes, Taylor. <laughs> That's all right. We got some good detail there. But it really, uh, it's cool because you set us up to like culminate in the big picture of like how you got to where you're at. And um, I mean, that's like, that's what we do. So you're my online business manager and you, I feel like our progression was really cool. It was like, we started as um, just like a once a month, like sort of like advisor setup. And then from there, it became clear that it would be really beneficial for you to be more involved and have more hours and like really take um, a leadership role in the whole systematizing of the business and everything. And um, I don't know, it's funny. I've thought about this podcast interview a bunch and I just wanted to like constantly shout from the rooftops, like how much I love working with you. Um, it's so <laughs> fucking incredible. And uh, you know, like, I mean, you're just so good at what you do first off. And then, uh, you know, the way that we work together, I think works really beautifully because we've known each other for so long and we've seen each other through so many different situations. Um, but then like the concept in general, I mean, this is a podcast for creatives of all kinds, you know, like our listeners are coming from lots of different backgrounds. And the main idea is that like, you can make it as an artist, you can make it as a creative in whatever way you want. And I really wanted to bring you on to like show people that like this element has been unbelievably helpful in my business um, and my career. And it's just like such a valuable thing to have somebody who can like, who thinks like you do, um, you know, like it's kind of cool that you went into such detail through your story, your whole story, because we got an idea, like we really get the feeling for like how your mind works and that's not how my mind works. I'm a totally, you know, I'm a painter. I like, I think in like abstract color, that's like my brain working. And then, but like, you've got your like, you know, eyes dotted, your T's crossed, you're like, you're like everything's just so detail oriented and that's just kind of naturally how you are. And like you said, you're a worker, you're like you are good at this. So um, why don't you talk for a minute about like what that is like you know, like working in like this setup with, with me, like what, yeah, go, go, go for it. Yeah. So it's funny though. One thing that kind of sparked my mind when you were saying that was when I think back on the working mentality of like the work, 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 I was that way until <clears throat> I went to Otterbox and I want to say probably my first year 
And then the company offered people a life plan if they wanted it. And it was a life plan was like two days with this like life plan facilitation, like life coach essentially. And it blew my mind. It really taught me about work-life balance. And like we did see my, again, way my mind works. We did like a worksheet of like actually mapping up like what you, how you spend your time and like the things that you want to spend your time on. And then adding that up and like seeing, well, shit, if you're working 50 hours a week, all that stuff that you wanted to do is like this. And here's your pie of work like this. And when you're only like, you only need to work, you're only expected to work 40 hours. Like, why am I going to put 10 extra hours of my life into this business? And so I was, I was I actually thought about that in the shower this morning too, that like, how lucky am I to have had that example at a young age? I mean, that was probably, that was over 10 years ago now. So yeah. in my mid twenties to understand that. So like, and I, I wanted to say that too, just because like being creative and like starting your own business for me was very much about owning my own schedule and being my own boss and building a lifestyle and a work style that worked around my health and me being able to take a walk every day, like things that I don't think are that, that much to ask, right? Like I want to take a walk every day. I want to be able to take yoga every once in a while. Like I want to go pick up my kid. Oh, I have to go take a dentist appointment. I got to take my kid to the dentist appointment. Just doing those regular things aren't stressful anymore because of the way that I've created my life. Yes. So weaving that into your business, <clears throat> it was really awesome to work with you just even starting off. I think what I don't remember what you just called it, but I like kind of took it as like almost like a coaching session is like once a month we meet and we'd figure out like all the different things that you needed to do. And really, I, I really became like your accountability partner as well as like an advisor. And then at some point it just, I remember, I think it was actually a year ago. I think it was April, 2020. Um, you had just, you were like right in the middle of that really big job, like your first huge, the school that you did. Yep. What was that school called again? Together We Grow. Together We Grow. That was huge. And you had like just brought on an employee. You were doing all these things. And I was like, oh my gosh, like you, you don't have enough time to do it all. Like you hit that point as a business owner where you have to bring on help in order to like scale. And when I say scale, all that really means is like to get more money. Like at some point you have a cap on how much you can make because there's only you, right? There's only enough work that you could handle. So you have to like start branching out and have more people help. So. And uh, at that point I got, I was so busy with, with what was going on that I was really just like creating more problems behind the scenes, like in terms of like the financial system and like taxes and payroll. And like, there was just all this stuff that was like way over my head. And I didn't have time or energy to focus on it. And really, I was just like creating tangles that you have now untangled right. are, are untangling still. And, and I remember like when we first started, I, our first conversation that we had about like moving towards this sort of a working relationship, um, I remember I was in uh, Sebastopol with Haley on a little road trip. I was talking to you on the phone. I was walking in this park and I was just expressing to you that like, 
I feel like I'm spinning my wheels. Like I'm working, it doesn't matter like how hard I work, how much like what whatever I do, I still feel like I'm staying in the same spot and I'm not building, I'm not growing and I'm not like, I wasn't like putting the pieces together of my art business to make my art life work. And like, you know, sales were like sporadic and sometimes they'd happen, but sometimes they wouldn't. And it was just like this whole mess. And like, uh, it's cool because we've gotten out of the mud and now we're like, we threw some four wheel tires on this thing and now we're ripping up the mountain and <laughs> just romping through. It's great. <laughs> and that's what an OBM can do for you. It, like that's what having help by somebody who's qualified can do is like take that energy and then direct it. And I wanted to even take a step back just because I don't like to assume that people it's just not very well known, even when OBM or even like what virtual help in general is. Right. I think that, so what, when I figured out that you needed more help, what we did was you did my minimum hourly package, which is, <clears throat> man, excuse me, which is 20 hours a month. So a lot of times, a lot of businesses wouldn't need an OBM until you hit like a hundred thousand or more in sales. Cause you need to be able to afford that. Cause when you think about it, like most people are familiar with more of like the brick and mortar kind of structures where you have like your owner and then you have your manager and then you've got your, like your, your work, your workforce. And so like, I am that middle layer just in the online sense. So I wouldn't work with everybody. And like, that's the, that's where virtual assistants come in a lot of times is they can fill that role until a business needs to go to that next step of taking on an OBM. So yeah. And a lot of times I come on to, or an OBM will come on to, to build the team, to hire that first VA and then like help manage or just like put a system in place where they can now work together and then the OBM isn't needed and that's fine too. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's what we did too. We found a virtual assistant pretty early on and then, but it was clear that there needed to be more that like you needed to be really like in the driver's seat to like, you know, drive the boat really to make, like, make sure that we're going in the right direction. Like, um, and a virtual assistant is awesome, but without like the direction of what to do and where to go, um, it's not as effective. Yeah. And for us specifically, like without getting into too many details, we did, hired the OB or I'm sorry, the VA. And we did kind of put the brakes on it a little bit. And I think it was just because I realized like we just need to have so many more systems and there was just, there was more stuff that we had to clean up that just needed to be, that was our focus for a long time. <clears throat> and then we, once we got through that, I remember it became apparent really quick because I remember pitching it to you being like, Taylor, it's about time. We need to like bring the VA back yeah. and you were kind of resistant to it. And then I just like scheduled the meeting. So this is what I do, right? I just scheduled the meeting with the VA and I was like, Hey, cause this was our former VA that we liked just fine. Delia, Delia. She's the best. Yeah. So yeah, I had a conversation with Delia and she was on board and then I was like, all right, Taylor, this is how it's going to happen. <laughs> And it's been great and needed. And you you can share your epiphany that you've had recently about it that now just knowing and understanding it and really like really understanding that you have this help. Yeah. 
you're utilizing is just opening up new, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. The epiphany that happened the other day was that I have a virtual assistant, like this person, their job is to like take care of tasks and like things that need to be done. And in my world, there's so many little tasks and things that need to be done that I don't necessarily need to do. I don't, it doesn't need like me specifically. And when I look at my to-do list, I can break it down between things that are like only I can do and then things that somebody else can do. And then I just stack that list of what other people can do. And then Delia just like rocks it out on her own time. And we come back next week and talk about it. And all these things are done. I'm like, great. It's so cool. And, and I mean, like one last thing that I'll say about it is that I, my only regret about working with you is that it didn't happen sooner. Like if we could have, and that's what I, that's one thing that I would suggest to other creatives in the world is like, start, start thinking about this sort of a relationship or like ways that you can like, you know, work with somebody or delegate or whatever. Um, as soon as possible, because like, I think if, if you would have been working with me three years ago, we could have been so much farther ahead. And like a lot of the untangling of things that are, that we're still doing wouldn't have even happened because you would have been in place to set them up correctly. And, um, you know, like I said, it's just like an artist doesn't think those ways normally. I mean, I'm sure there's some artists who are good at it, but I'm definitely not one of them. I was just thinking hindsight, right? Like, it's a bitch like it's right. just like right. and taylor since it's the podcast do you remember we can talk about it that we did work together we did yep first we worked together at the restaurant but then we worked together like taylor was my very first like business manager client like i didn't even know what a business manager was and like that's kind of what i was like we talked about some of his systems and like that was so fun. And you I was back in Fort Collins. That was like 14 years ago. And <laughs> neither of us really knew how to make it work. I didn't know, like, I, you know, and neither of us, we were just so young in the whole thing, but we had the idea. We definitely did. We had meetings. <laughs> it was so cute. I wish that we could like sit in and watch ourselves do this, that like back in the day. If we had a video of it, it would have been amazing. <laughs> yes. Um, the only other thing I'll say is because I feel like when we start describing like the VA task and like what Delia does in the business, I think some people probably are a little lost onto like really what an OBM does or what I'm what I actually do. And so I was just thinking we could clear that up really quick. Um, so we so I do a lot of strategy, right? So we we create 90-day plans, which I get really detailed in outlining what needs to be done in order to accomplish our goals. But that's where it kind of like we delegate different tasks. So like if I can hand it off to a virtual assistant or if it's truly just task work, I usually hand it off to Taylor a lot of times or Delia. And if I can, I will. But like I just am very cognizant that I have 20 hours and I need to use it very strategically. Um, and so then again, it's like all that project management piece just trying to like you know, make sure everything is still rolling, getting everything that, you know, Delia needs or Taylor needs that I can support. Um, and then again, just that accountability piece, right? Just kind of being there and holding Taylor's feet to the fire. <laughs> Gently, but definitely holding them to the fire. <laughs> and sometimes you got to like crack the whip on me. Right? <laughs> Occasionally.
um hell yeah all right well let's uh let's jump into the question section how do you feel about that yep okay so uh the first question is maybe you already kind of answered this uh well what what would you say was your like breakthrough moment into the version of you that is now um was there like a catalyzing moment where you like went from being old lara to being the new lara with yeah. business I, I didn't answer that can you believe it so but it does tie into what i've already talked about so that year after i got laid off for the, the last time that was october 2017 it really was January last time I like that <laughs> uh January 2018 was like I started my business accounts like I knew that something was going to happen I just didn't know exactly what and so that year in general was very much well because I launched my business in October like well I launched a bunch of businesses but the one that actually stuck and then I like moved on and where I'm at today was the one in October so I had like about 10 solid months to figure it out. And I thought for a while that I wanted to be a coach, that I wanted to go and do a certification program. And, um, <laughs> and then I realized, I was like, I have no idea what a coach is. Like, here I am. Like I actually enrolled in a program. That's right. It wasn't like tremendously expensive. Thank goodness. And I got through like the first module and I was like, what in the heck does a coach do? <laughs> And as you've already know, like, I like to see the other side. So like, if I am going to be a coach, then I need to get coached by somebody so I can figure it out. And so I, um, being in Fort Collins, like I've been here for so long, I'm very well connected. And I had this connection that I had two different connections. One was my esthetician <laughs> and the other one was my husband. And they both know these amazing coaches in Fort Collins who coach coaches like they are like amazing and they're a couple and they're like these two women power couple and um so I reached out and I was just like hey this is how I know you this is what I'm trying to do like can you coach me because I need to know what the heck a coach is because I want to do it and she hooked me up with one of her students because they need free coaching or they need to like practice their coaching. And so I had free coaching and my coach was awesome. And it's so funny. Cause like, I would never have picked Jason as my coach. He's just, he's a white male, like hetero guy and just like very like normal and just not anybody that I would have ever just picked for me, like truly. And he was perfect for me though. He was so great. And he is the epitome of a good coach. So a good coach in a coaching session the coach doesn't talk much. They just ask you questions and they listen. And it's powerful and like transformative. And I couldn't believe I got that for free, right? So <laughs> anyway, in that process, like I really feel like that was the thing that transformed me into like where and the person I am today and like how I was able to like filter all that into my business and build it the how I have built my businesses and like with the vision of where I'm going was working with a coach and just figuring out stuff like self-care like what do I need to do for myself because I've never been able to put myself first before that coaching session like I was always two three four priority but not top priority and nobody else is going to make you a priority I can't 
Nope. Got to take care of number one before you take care of everybody else. Yes. Totally. Nice. Yeah. And that's so cool to hear because a lot of people maybe don't know about personal coaches or business coaches. And uh, I mean, here in Southern California in this like entrepreneur world that I run in, like half the people are coaches. Um, but they're so helpful. They're so helpful. If you have a goal or a dream or anything, it just really helps to have an outside perspective and like somebody who's like coaching you along. Yeah. And to wrap that up, by the way, I did realize I do now understand what a coach is, but I did realize I didn't want to be a coach, not because I didn't want to be a coach, but for that training program, like the one that I signed up for was like a $300 program. The one that Jason was going through, my coach, was like a ten to fifteen thousand dollar program. And like, in order to call myself coach and how I wanted to be viewed in that community, I wanted to have more of those credentials and that experience and that training. And so, and that was just more than I wanted to spend, quite frankly. And so, when I found where I ended up was more like I probably spent like half that. So I definitely invested, but not quite that much. Yeah. So. Well, and this ended up being perfectly suited for you. Yes. Um, okay, so now we're, this is a show about creativity and, and flow state is one of the things that's a main jam. You hear me talk about it. Flow state, for those that don't know, is the, it's the zone that people get into, you know, through any different way. Sports um, is a common one and then like meditation or whatever. It's like when time, time goes away and you're just co completely zoned in. And I know you get into these moments uh how do you get into them and like what was what is a favorite standout flow state memory that you've that you've had i feel i just picture you getting into flow state working on spreadsheets <laughs> and like you i could just see you like getting in and just diving in and then like time just evaporates and you're like you 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 like have like eight arms and you're like flipping things around and and that's what i picture happening well I think, I don't know, when you put it that way, I think what gets me there, and I can tell you how I get there or what happens to me, but I think it's through my time bank process, which I did not know I was going to be able to plug in this. So I'm so excited because I love my time bank. And so every month I figure out my waking hours for the month. And then kind of like what I was saying with my life plan, that's where part of the idea came from, um, was just figuring out how I spend my time. And then, and I, again, I changed it though to waking hours and not like eight to five hours or like your 40 hour work week, because as an entrepreneur, our lives can interweave very much. So, um, I look at all my waking hours <clears throat> and then I time block everything in my calendar. And so for me, it actually made me way less anxious. I never am worried if I have enough time I know always exactly where I should be spending my time. Um, and so that has helped me when I'm like, we'll just say client time, for example, or, or even when I work on my own business, like I really can get into the flow state too. Um, but I have my time block and usually I like to give myself like hours in order to get into this mm -hmm. versus like, 30 minutes is not going to do it for me. So like, I do try to be strategic about how I time block to, to give myself that time to get into that area. And then 
when I am working on client time or whatever, whatever time I'm in, I don't have to worry about the clock because I know that my reminder will tell me when the next thing's going to start. And that's just how it should be. So what happens is I will get in those states and I will just be like going and I don't even know it's a flow state, but I know it is because like I block out everything. Like, I don't know that my, my, my clock, I have my watch. I don't, I'm not getting notifications. Um, I'm getting them, but I'm just not getting them. And even like my notifications sometimes on my screen, I won't, or I'll even like just brainlessly like click on it and not like register. And so, yeah, I think that's it. Yep. I've given myself the container to do it. Love it. Love it. That's, that's exactly what I picture happening. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, next question is what is your advice to aspiring creatives of all kinds and all backgrounds? Uh, well, I guess I kind of go tactical. <laughs> so my first advice is if you think that you want to start a business or anything like that at some point, even in the future, the first thing I would do is like get a bank account set up. And this is what someone told me many years ago. And that is because if you get it open and in order to open an account, you have to have a business name, which you want to register with your state. I would recommend an LLC, but depending on where you're at, it can be very, very expensive. In Colorado, it's $50, which is not bad. Um, and then once you have your business name, then you can file for a federal identification number. And when you have those pieces, you can take and open a bank account. And the reason why you want to have it is you want history. So down the road, it doesn't even matter if you have like a few dollars, the dollar amount is is negligible. It's about history. So that's why in 2018, when I knew it was going to happen, that was like the first thing, I think it was like January 2nd of 2018. I like established my business and opened my business account. And the other cool thing about that is you can also, and this is actually, you can do this even before you establish your business and you start running transactions through your account. You want to keep track of any money that you're spending on research or, you know, products or like classes, because all of that can go into your startup fees or like just business expenses in general. And those are tax write-offs and that stuff adds up. So that's like my first like tactical thing. Like immediately I hear that and I'm like, ah, the other thing I think of immediately is when you do start having sales, um, I would make sure that you just understand your local sales tax laws because a lot of times you might need to charge sales tax. Um, and when you get paid, taking at least like 25% out immediately and putting it into a separate account for taxes and everything else I feel like you can figure out and fine tune later. But if you get those few foundational pieces in, you're going to be in really good shape. Yes. <laughs> That's practical, but then like the more like philosophical, because I like to go there too, is I think that like you just have to believe in what you're, what you're bringing to the world, what you're offering. 
right? Like you have, because I actually went through this recently with one of my clients where they were like, well, and they were a startup, which not a lot of people, not a lot of businesses that I work with are startups, even though I have a lot of startup background. Um, and they kept saying that like, well, you know, they just learned from all these amazing people and there's all these amazing people out in the world that are already doing this work and like just really minimizing themselves. And I'm like, no, 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 you are not going to survive in the business world if you don't think that your shit is awesome. What you offer is great. Like you took all that amazing advice and you made it your own. You have your own thing because you have your own unique experiences, you know? And so you that you just have to believe in it. Like I will believe in anyone. Like I, in my OBM business, I will buy into anyone's business if I can see that you believe in it and I can see that you're making money on it. But if you're like, oh, I don't know, uh, pass. <laughs> totally. Oh, those are great. Those are really great. Two sides of a coin. I like that. Um, all right. Question four. This is the big show right here. Okay. Are you nervous? Do you feel nervous at all? No, I'm actually, these are great. Awesome. Oh, okay. Okay. Great. Yeah. Okay. What is your definition of art? Ooh. It's funny that you ask me that because I feel like you helped me define that in that it was around that summer when we were working together way back in the day. And that was right when I was first dating my now husband. And he, so for whatever reason, you're like interwoven with this memory, even though I don't even think you were there. <laughs> All right, I like that. <laughs> so um, he, my husband Brooke was telling me, and he's a musician, that a very talented musician, that he just didn't think that anybody could really appreciate music without playing an instrument themselves. Now, I have dabbled in some instruments, but I wouldn't really call myself like an instrument player, a musician of any sort, really. Like I, I'm a dancer, I will sing my ass off. That's about it, that's about as far as my skills go. And so I just looked at him and I was like, I don't feel that way at all. Like to me, music, like I feel it in my body, in every ounce of me, like, and it, like I just described what music is to me and he cried. <laughs> <laughs> it totally changed his opinion yes. and mine and he understood. And so I guess I equate that same definition, music, art, right? Like, it's just like, it's like this beautiful creation of just anything, I think, right? And just like the way that you meld it together. And I don't know, that's actually a really hard thing to define. Art, just beautiful creation, creation. Love it, that's great. You made Brooke cry with it. That's so awesome. <laughs> Way to go. That's a solid answer. When you can make somebody cry from your answer on something, that's that's a winner. Yeah. I mean, uh, you can be an appreciator of anything without like knowing the craft of it or like knowing how to do it, you know? 
Totally. Well, there's, I mean, there's like the technical side to it. And when you are a musician, then you can dive into it with a deeper understanding on that end. Like I can understand what goes into a painting being made, but somebody who walks up, who's never picked up a paintbrush can walk up and see a painting and be completely moved by it to tears. Like it can hit them so hard. And like that, that is art right there. No question about it. So I think, okay. So art is very personal. Yeah. It's different for everybody. Like what I think is art may not be to somebody else, you know? Like, have you ever been to Moab? Yeah. My girlfriend said the best thing. She was like, she's like, I feel like every like square inch just needs to be in like a museum. <laughs> <laughs> so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Art. Art. That's art. Definitely. Even her saying that is art. <laughs> Yes. And then I was talking about her saying that about the obser- observation. <laughs> and that's what art is. It's like, it's so multidimensional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all right. Well, this is the part where I thank my guest for coming on. Um, Laura, I wanted to get you in here because you know, it's season two starting up. We haven't even launched these season two episodes and, uh, yeah, I wanted to balance things out with a strong female presence coming in, crushing it, and uh, you are that. And you're just such an amazing help in my life. And you're such, like, we've just known each other for so long. We, like, know each other on a, a very deep and awesome level. And it just continues to get better and better. And, I mean... I think people are listening. If they want an OBM, they should come knocking on your door, even though you're mostly busy, but maybe you'll take one or two more. We'll see. Um, if the if the offer is, is right, then, then maybe. Um, but um, where can people follow you or reach out? Where can they check out your stuff? Okay, so you can check out either of my websites, uh, www.laraaustin.io. So I am L-A-R-A. A-U-S-T-I-N dot I-O. Or you can check out my other side if you're just interested and curious or if you're local to Fort Collins area, it's www.birthintocommunity.com. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Yep, I got to do a little editing on that site. That was great. Or, uh, you know, critique. We'll call it critique. I didn't edit anything, but it's beautiful. Um, all right. Well, this is the end of part one. Can you leave the humans with one last little bit of wisdom? Ooh. I just think that if you have a block in your flow, you should honor it and let it work itself out and maybe do something else and, you know, do some activities to kind of dive into it. But I found every time I've had resistance to it, and I've just let it resist, eventually it does dissolve and I'm able to get back into my flow. And I'm like, oh, thank goodness. And then I'm always so thankful that I didn't like force it because it's hard to force. Totally. That's awesome. I, I feel those little blocks in the studio occasionally. And if there's a block on a painting, sometimes if I just turn towards another painting and start working on that, then like it unblocks it. And then I can come back to the original one and like everything is going. But yeah, to f- sit there and force it just doesn't really do anything. Love it. No. Nice. All right, cool. Okay, so this is the end of part one. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back for part two.
Again, this podcast is brought to you by High Ground Coffee, an adventure coffee brand with a new twist on brewing coffee, wherein you steep coffee like it's a tea. You just drop a packet in hot water and you go. It's the newest way to brew coffee and it's awesome. Use coupon code TAYLOR at checkout for 15% off. Visit them at myadventurecoffee.com. That's myadventurecoffee.com. And we're back. Part two, here we go. Lara, Kay, Austin, uh, how you doing? How was, how, what did you think about the first part of the episode? That's great. Yeah, I think I probably over chatted, but. <laughs> you know, from my perspective, it's so funny because like some people like dive into the, dive into it and really expand and, and kind of go the direction you went. And then other people just like, whoop, like keep it so short and you know the first like when I say who you are blah 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 where are you from how you got to where you're at then they're done in like a minute and a half and I'm like oh uh I, I sorry I wasn't expecting that to be like over so quick um no but it's great it's always it's all good the cool thing about this podcast is like time doesn't matter um it can be long it can be short it can be you know and like that's and now with the part one and part two it's like the intention is for people to listen while they work or travel or do whatever they do so like kind of the longer the better i like listening to long podcasts when i work when i do art because it just like makes time go faster um i wanted to tell a quick story um so you and I were working at NZOs in Fort Collins. We had this amazing little community of people that that we still, I still keep in touch with a ton of them. I'm sure you do too. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, so, so there's, yeah, like Brad is one guy who got a job there and Brad was in a band with Brooke, your husband, Brad and uh, Brooke are brothers and, um, and then there's there's just so many other great people. Um, Brad met his wife Courtney there, and then there's Marmar and Maddie, and just like oh man, the list, the the chase. Oh yeah, the list goes on. Um, so I mean, everybody was Dan, Phil. Oh god, just such great people. Um, okay, so then, and then Brooke didn't work there with us, but Brad no. did. And they were in a band and they would play shows around Fort Collins and we would all go and it was just like great. Soul Feel was the band name. And uh, it was like a nice little like hippie jam band with the funk element and those guys rocked. And so I got to know Brooke that way. And there was one day where we were like, we were all like walking from one bar to another after, after our shift. And you were walking ahead of us in this group. I think, you know, a group of girls were chilling, maybe you and Shannon or somebody. And, um, and then Brooke and I were crossing the street and he was looking at you and he goes, that Laura Austin, she sure is something. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> I don't know why I would know the actual day of that. But that might have been, oh, there was a huge group of us, right? And we ended up at like near the Luscious Nectar, wherever that Linden area. Yep. Um, yep. I think that that night, Brooke, oh shoot, this is a podcast. That's okay. 
him and Marin ended up like doing their thing. Oh, flirting with this other guy that was my friend's oh, friend's brother. And so he saw that and got jealous. I didn't know. We weren't even a thing. So I didn't, anyway, yeah. I thought that he you guys weren't dating at that point or anything like yeah but he was but he was into you you ever told me that story that's hilarious <laughs> yeah yeah that was good stuff yeah that was a really fun time in fort collins we we it was just like free flow really fun we were all just like working at a restaurant enzio's was like a nice upscale italian spot relatively upscale and um we just had a blast working and then i got to hang artwork in the front area like phil the manager was kind of just like he was this like older italian guy who was so nice and took care of us and kind of he we were all kind of like his kids really and it was uh it was a good jam it was a good jam um okay so not every person who has like a very detail-oriented mindset like yourself has been to this one place out in the desert in nevada it called Burning Man, but you uh, Black Rock City. Black Rock City. Why don't you talk to the humans a little bit about that? I would love to share that experience. So, as you all may know, if you listen to part one, I grew up in Fort Collins in Greeley, Colorado. My parents are pretty. I don't know. I'd say pretty like run the mill, your normal blue collar workers, and I think they were probably both hippies back in the day you know, back in the 60s, probably. My dad, for sure. And um, anyway, we camped like a little bit growing up. And then I'm graduating, I'm finishing up in New York, my internship. And we decide that we're going to go to Burning Man uh, with the band. And the band went, I think, the year before or two years before. I can't quite remember now. And so I was like, sure, cool. Like, we're going to camp for... Like, I think it was like 10 days. It wasn't even like a week. It was like 10 days in the desert. And I, I mean, I'm pretty adventurous. So I'm like mostly up for anything. And I was, I did great. But it was just funny because like, I never really like compared to that and compared to how like I've camped in the last like 20 years. Like I just didn't do that growing up. So like for that to be like my, I've never even been to a festival and Burning Man is like a festival on steroids. It's like the biggest. <laughs> It's a like, city. Yeah. So yeah, it's so crazy. It was such a cool experience because just watching how like it's nothing desert and then a 50,000 person city just springs up and then it's all about leave no trace. So there's like, I love that, but like every little piece of trash, like pick it up and it kind of really taught me cool things. Like yep. if you see you didn't do it, you still pick it up, yep. you know? And so, um, but yeah, that was really, and then I, I'm not, I've never really like the drug thing, you know what I mean? Like that's really a big thing at Burning Man and I didn't really feel like I needed drugs. <laughs> there was just, you just looked around and it was like everywhere you look, you felt like you were on drugs yep. without being on drugs. So like, it was just such a cool experience. Like I can't wait to go back. I don't, I don't know if I'll ever go back quite frankly, but like, I really hope that I get back. Well, I'm, I have in my future at some point a, a Burning Man camp that I want to put together and you're on the list. <laughs> you're on the invite list. So you will. Yes. Uh, oh, 
Burning Man. I just love the mentality of Burning Man too. Like, it's just like your home is open to anybody. And like, if you have something you need, you share it and mm-hmm. everyone's taken care of. And it was cool. It was a cool experience. Yeah, there's a lot of really beautiful, like human elements that come through it. And then, you know, and there's the drugs and the partying and the music and, but there's uh there's like, like I would love my parents to go for my parents to go and I, they wouldn't be into a lot of it, but they might, I think that, but that's the cool thing is it's kind of like a choose your own adventure. You can, you could like stay in the local camping areas rather than like go out to the playa and like anytime you want or like whatever, do whatever the hell you want. (laughs) Um, well then we should tell the New York story. <laughs> it was interesting for me to go visit you in New York because like Lara, you were, you were this like, when you showed up to Enzio's, I was already working there. You reminded me of like a freshly planted daisy. Like, like a, like a flower in those cartoons that like has a big smile on it and like kind of dances and back back and forth in the sun and is like hey like what how are you i'm happy like that sort of are you and new york was like a a very big hardening dark place and you like you went from being like so happy and, and joyous to like when i got there like you were like like just I, you didn't really smile much at first and like you know on the subway you like kept a like you know you were like you were a city girl at that point and the city is like a hardcore place and it was like it, it was tough to see you like that and I was kind of glad that it was just an internship and that you were coming back but but I happened to be traveling through and then our good friend Adam Fallick was also traveling through at the same exact time he was in New York so then we all he met up and then, and the Rockies were playing the Mets. The Colorado Rockies, y'all. The Colorado fucking Rockies. So the three of us get on subways and trains and make our way over to the stadium. Okay, hang on. So again, remember I'm in a fashion internship position. So I get off work to meet Taylor and Adam. I am wearing, first of all, I'm wearing Rockies colors. So it was like, oh yeah, I had to go but I'm wearing a black pencil skirt, this tight fitted like purple blouse. And that's what I went to the Rockies game in. Yeah. And then me and Adam probably look like a couple of Goombas. (laughs) Just (laughs) being ridiculous, me and Adam in general. And so we, we meet up with you, we go to the game and we three start, we proceed to drink a lot of beer and drinking before we went to the game that's when we decided to go it was when we started drinking and I have to tell everybody that I don't drink anymore like I my body just doesn't handle it very well but I can handle it much better at sea level and so we're at sea level so that's partly like Lara's at sea level so like I think this if this happened in Colorado this just wouldn't have happened um so we're at sea level and we start drinking, we like each bought rounds. So like, we were just like, oh, it's Lara's turn. Oh, it's Adam's turn. Oh, it's Taylor's turn. And so I was matching you guys beer for beer. Yeah. <laughs> and this happened like every inning, like one of us would go get 
another round of beers. We were just like hammered in the nosebleed seats at Met Stadium. Okay, okay, okay. Let me tell it, and then I want to hear your your version of it. Okay. okay. So the I think I can even remember to the Rockies win. I don't think they did. Because the Mets fans are so happy on the train. Maybe. Oh, maybe yeah. So everybody, everybody gets up <laughs> into the game to leave. And I'm plastered. So I get up and I proceed to fall down the stadium seats, seats, like aisles of seats. I tumble down in my my uh, pencil skirt and my was, I've got my purse. <laughs> All I'm thinking as I'm tumbling down is like, oh my God, I have to get up immediately because Taylor and Adam are freaking out right now because their friend is falling down the stadium seats. <laughs> and I did, I popped back up and I was okay. And you guys look terrified. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we were. Well, okay. So anybody who's been in the nosebleeds of a baseball stadium, you know that up there, it's really steep. Thank you. you There's like feet between, you know, one level to the next level. And we all stand up and you just like, we're all going to like walk to the aisle, walk across to the aisle to go down. And you, I think you lose your balance or trip or something. And you just go head first down and like the way that the seats are set up you're like heading down into the verticals of these like the backs of the seats and like it looked like there was no way that you were gonna survive without like scraping or like gashing your face or like breaking something like how did and you just ninja rolled somehow or something you like you like dive three rows down and then just pop right up and we're like holy fuck what just happened and you're like i'm good we're good and i'm like what well, we, thought, remember, we thought we lost you there we thought we lost you i remember being on the train and like someone goes is your knee okay and i looked down and my knee is just like bleeding <laughs> <laughs> i'm like yeah it's fine i just pulled my skirt down and i need to then I remember we can pass we can go back a little bit if you want to go into the details of that night but I do remember the next day like I had to work I mean I was just wrecked <laughs> I'm so sore and in the apartment I was running there was this gigantic mirror and I took off all my clothes and I stood in the mirror because I wanted to just assess the damage because I was just beat the fuck up <laughs> And the thing that like struck me the most was this like rectangular bruise on no triangular bruise on my boob. And I'm like, what the hell? And I think I I talked to you about it. I was like, you were like, well, you probably hit it on the corner of the seat when you were going down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you definitely did. Oh my god. Oh, but I do remember we got back to my apartment and I was like, well, I gotta make food because we've been drinking and you like gotta eat. And like the, I made French toast, I think. And the, the handle of the pan got really hot and I grabbed it. And everywhere that I had grabbed the next day, I told you I was beat up. 
was a monster. You're just like. You remember that too? I took it, I had it, and I threw it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. You were just wrecked. <laughs> and, and we needed to climb on the roof. Yeah, that's right. Hang out on the roof. I remember telling Brooke that later. He was just like, I cannot believe you didn't die. <laughs> oh, totally. We were not being safe that night. <laughs> not at all. Uh, one of the highlights, though, on the way back on the train was it was somebody's birthday on the train. And the entire train car is just like hammered baseball fans. And we started like singing happy birthday. And then that turned into just like singing songs. And like we all just like sang as a train car the entire way back, like the 40 minute train car back. It was that shit was awesome. It was so awesome. <laughs> It was so fun. Oh, um, okay. Well, let's see. One thing I like to ask people in part two is like, what's something that you're really geeking out on these days? Like this can be like technical or philosophical or like what are, you know, what's something that's really interesting that you've read or watched lately? What are you into? Oh man, I feel like my brain has just been like full of baby stuff. So, I guess that's what I've been geeking out on, quite frankly, is just because with my two certifications for birth doula and postpartum doula, just for postpartum, I think it's like 14 books I have to read. Whoa. And so I started that in September and I, I'm on my last two books. So what would, what would you say the main concepts are with it? It's really just like, well, my whole focus is on postpartum, right? And so it's really just like learning about all the intricacies and like the details of like how women behave and just all the different hormones and all the things that can happen and all the different variables. And when you think about how many humans there are and every human is different. So every birth and every postpartum period is different. And so yeah, I don't know if you want to talk about that in this podcast. This is intriguing, but it's just crazy. It's just crazy because you think about like part of the reason why I want to do birth in the community is I want to change the world. And so I have to think about like, how can I change the world? And I think part of it starts at life and like having that impact on the pregnant vessel, you know, which is a happy pregnant person and like a healthy pregnant person and an educated pregnant person. What do you and, feel like needs to be changed from what it is now? Well, I want to speak for the United States society, because if you look at global societies, they treat becoming parents and bringing new life in, in a very different way. It's very celebratory. It's very like there's so much support around them in that postpartum period. Um, and then you look at like the stark contrast for our society where it's like, because of the nuclear family, right? We're not aunts and uncles and grandparents living next to each other anymore. We're very spread out. And even if we have community around us, a lot of times our people are working full times and are just busy with their lives. And it's not anything against them. It's just truly our society, the way it's constructed is not conducive to support postpartum women. 
So again, if they have a rough beginning and they get depressed, what impact does that have on this baby for the rest of their life? Right. And then if you look at that on like a, on a countrywide scale, like what is the, what are the effects that it, that's having? Yeah. Everything. Like, and then you contrast that with like the disconnection that a lot of people feel in our society and, uh, or compare that or connect it with the disconnection. And then a lot of the big issues that happen in our country that are due to disconnection. Yes. Um, I mean, gun violence could be one of those. Like, yeah, how many, that's really interesting. Like how many ills that our country goes through could be worked on at the level of like the beginning of life? I don't really know what the impact of that is, but I just know that it's got to be, an, it's a positive impact, right? It's like a, a life-changing impact versus- and It's not really quantifiable. Right. Or, I mean, maybe you could, but it would be like such a long-term study that you'd have to do on it. But intuitively, it feels like there's definitely something there. Yeah. So yeah, so it's really just kind of geeking out and like, how can we change that and make it better here? And not just- in offering postpartum services, but being accessible to everybody because it's not just to people who can afford postpartum services. Creating a community. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's one thing that I feel like, uh, so I have a friend who owns a yoga studio over here and another friend of mine owned it before. And I, the world of yoga, owning a yoga studio is an interesting business model right now. I mean, COVID's a whole different ballgame, but even before that, because you could get yoga online mm -hmm. uh that's that like it makes the yoga studio a little bit less necessary and the yoga studio is an interesting model because as you teach more yoga as the yogi goes through the process of like being a beginner to intermediate to an advanced at a certain point they don't need the yoga studio anymore so you're kind of just like training these birds to leave the nest and so what is it about the yoga studio that keeps them coming back? Yeah. I would say it's the community. Totally. And I, I've experienced that just in the last week because just in the last week, I started going back to in-person and I've been doing virtual yoga for, well, since last year. And it well, since the pandemic started really. Oh. And it hasn't been, it wasn't a terrible shift for me just because it was my same two teachers and they ended up just starting their own business and because everything was online anyway. So like, it was a really nice transition. And then I just kind of felt like a need. And one of my girlfriends, who's also my massage therapist, she ended up starting a studio, like not even a year before COVID. So she was just like, oh my God, why? But they like were managed to survive and all that. And they now offer everything as a hybrid, right? You can either go in or be virtual. And I've, so it's been really interesting to see that people, some classes are a hybrid, some have like more virtual than you would think. Some are only in person. And, but I fall under that category because I am a trained yoga instructor. I am a trained prenatal yoga instructor. And I have practiced now for 15, 16 years, 17 years. And I don't need an instructor, but I find, especially like I said, just in this last week, I've had this comparison where I did go to this studio 
And I find because I'm experienced and I've done trainings and all that, that when I get into the studio, I, it's a different energy for me. It's a whole different thing. And when they are triggering or um, calling on, you know, pranayama or different breath, like I'm already there. I don't even need, like I can ujjayi breath for an hour and a half without even anything, just because it's such muscle memory. Um, but on the flip side at home, I think I could do that, but now it's gone far enough into the pandemic and all that, that I just can't, there's just so many distractions and all the things. And like, I only half asked you yoga at home anymore. Right. So it was so nice to go back into the studio and be like, do all the things, not have any struggle physically or mentally, and just like be there. Totally. Doing yoga at home takes a whole other level of discipline. And, um, and then compared to, and I, I like to do it at home and do these flows, but I do like shorter yoga sessions and I, I don't, you, you have to like be your own guide and coach while also being the person conscious of your breath and also doing the physical forms and whatnot. Whereas when you have somebody who's teaching you, when you go into a class, you can kind of shut your thinking mind off and then you can just be with your breath, with your movement and listen to the cues and do your thing. It's really, that's a really nice part of it. And then, you know, you're not like, you can't get out of it. No, you're not going to like just stop and turn off the computer and then walk away or you're not going to like, I don't need to do that. uh, That one pose because I don't feel like it. Like, no, you're doing it and you're going to stay in it until the the yoga instructor tells you to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which is awesome. Yeah. So that's been. But yeah, I can I can't even I don't know. I think that we might see I'm seeing a future of hybrid, quite frankly, going because I think you're going to see a resurrection of a lot of people wanting to come back to the community after pandemic totally. because so starved. So anywhere we can get community is where we're going to get it. Well, and I think a, a hybrid model is what's going to happen for our business in general. I mean, like restaurants, there's been all these like really interesting silver linings to the growth that has been needed that, that the pandemic has like created out of necessity like restaurants here especially i mean we're in a warm place here in southern california but like everywhere else it's like a whole different thing but here it's like every single restaurant now has a patio every single one and like that's just how it is and then they've also got everyone like dialed in their online game of like to-go food and whatnot so now the restaurants like when things do open up completely again the restaurant is like a whole new badass version of the original self. Whereas like <clears throat> it didn't have the patio, it didn't have the capabilities to handle that. So then they can make more revenue and it can all like, it's like, and that same thing is going for <clears throat> like all different businesses everywhere. And it's kind of, it's, it's so interesting how challenge forces evolution. Mm-hmm totally and like my business as doing murals i things were just like taking off taking off taking off and then they really slowed down a lot right when the pandemic hit and um and then that forced me to really dial in and force us to dial in like the approach the marketing the um uh, like everything i've just i'm a much uh more 
evolved artist in terms of the painting and then also the business at this point compared to last year. And all along, Lara, you were like, don't worry, we got this. Because <laughs> you believe in your product. You have a great product and it does sell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're a client that I'm a little biased towards just because we have a history and I do love your art, but not everybody is that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably helps. It definitely helps to be pumped on things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But at the same token, like having a client or an owner that's pumped is very contagious too. Right. Well, and if they can sell you on it, then they can sell somebody else. Right. And you're like, you almost, it's cool. The, the process of having an advisor or a online business manager or anybody like it's so good on so many different levels. Like even when, like I have, I have the, the four other advisors, my like quote unquote advisors that I meet with once a quarter. And then, and then, and you started out as more like one of those, except it was a monthly thing. And every time I go into one of those meetings, I have to do like an hour's work of like organizing myself to even talk about what I want to ask them about. And so then that action right there, like getting your shit together to go into a meeting is like a huge step in itself. Cause you have to ask yourself, like, what do I even want to know? Like, what do I even, what questions do I even have? What do I have going in my life? Like, what do I, what are, um, yeah, it's cool. One thing that I like that you ask about, especially early on is, um, pain points. Yes. You know, and I think that's a really important thing for people to ask themselves in terms of their business and like in which they do want help is like, what are your pain points? Yep. Did you get that from online business managing school? You know, that one actually came from, uh, the virtual assistant world. Yeah. yeah. Just like, yeah. Talking to your client. Well, actually it was both. I think it's just in online in general. <laughs> it's a good way to figure out where people need help. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's cool. The process is, can be pretty organic. I mean, it seems like you have a structure to help people out, but then also like what's going on. Like, yeah. And kind of build from there. Company is very unique and what their problem is. So which kind of helps like in a confidence sense, because it's like, I know that I'm just not going to know it all. So like just going in and being open and building the plan and just working the plan is like the best way to go. Totally. And I like what one of the people that one of your advisors or teachers told you at one point, they're like, if the person had all the stuff together, they wouldn't need you. Well, and I think that you're like a really great example of a client that like you wouldn't think, you just wouldn't assume. I, I just think that you should never assume that anybody knows anything. Like that's like in the part one, when I gave the advice about like taxes, like that is just not something that people intuitively know. And if no one's ever told you, how do you know, you know? And so like money and like there's certain things in my skill set that just come naturally to me and that has been a, a skill my whole life right and so I just I don't even realize that or I'm realizing more and more that other people don't have those skill sets that I take for granted yeah 
Yeah. <clears throat> I think that's a big thing when you're thinking about what your offering is to the world is like, we'll take it for granted because it's just our world. Like that's just what you're good at and that's your, your perspective. But we don't realize that like that's our world and that's uh, and other people have completely different worlds and perspectives and backgrounds and ideas and their minds work differently. Right. And one thing I found with working with you is that you have, I wouldn't necessarily call this one of your resources. Like, so you do have help, but you needed me as like an intermediary of like a middle person to translate properly. Cause like that person didn't realize what she was telling you didn't translate to you. And you didn't realize <laughs> what she was saying. You know what I mean? And so like, that's been eye-opening as well that like I can be really great in that middle role. Yeah. Like a translator. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't have to have like the, the years of professional experience in this where we need this expertise, right? Like I can totally be that middle ground and still be super duper helpful. Yeah. <laughs> Necessarily helpful. <laughs> yeah, totally. Have you always uh, just been like this type of helpful person, like even as a kid? Like, did you just want to like help yeah. out your mom and whatnot? Kind of like, it's a little sad to talk about a little bit just because like in therapy, I've worked out that a lot of that is like a people pleasing thing and like being, yeah, taking care of, but it's like to please people. And it really was like a, about a survival skill growing up. Yeah. <laughs> so like, oh man. So, but I mean, I see it even like. As in like you wanted. Cause I'm, I'm a people pleaser too. And through my like therapy uh, adventures, it's been the same type of thing. Like it was a formative experience as a kid, as a way to like get energy from my parents, you know, to like, well, from, from my dad, mostly like, um, is it, was it that sort of a thing? Yeah. I've always felt, um, I don't know. Just, I mean, I think it's just the natural evolution of children and their parents that I have just a bit more evolved than both my parents. <laughs> and so I think part of it was just like, I, I don't know. I don't know on this point. Like, I think that I was raised to be very independent. And so with that expectation of independence, like comes from like, you just take care of things around you naturally, right? Like you take the lead because you've just been conditioned to do it I don't know yeah yeah and you were you're an older sister so you're probably being told like take care of your sister and um yeah a little bit yeah but like I always loved animals like I still love animals so I always was I've always had pets and I always had to take care of things and even still like I've got two dogs and we're fostering a hedgehog right now and yeah <laughs> are supposed to be like taking care of it and I still find myself like I just can't help it <laughs> and I know it's like a parenting thing too I'm like I'm supposed to give her responsibility but I really do also enjoy caretaking you know right right yeah, yeah. the people pleaser thing is an interesting concept yes. and uh and then when you start to dismantle that like you know I started out as a people pleaser and just like saying yes and like wanting to like take, you know, just please everybody. But then I said like take it a layer deeper and I was doing that subconsciously as like a way to get um, energy or like recognition or like uh, acknowledgement really. And then 
at that point I started observing my own actions and and then breaking them down and being like wait am I doing that because I want something from this situation or I feel like I need um yeah like the recognition or I need um acknowledgement to like make me feel like I'm a whole person or something and and then from there it like kind of broke down to an, into a space of nothing where I, I almost like a, a metaphorical meditative space where like nothing is happening I'm not doing anything because I'm like anything I do is going to be like a people pleasing thing or not and so I'm just I'm examining it and then it's cool because from that space of nothingness I realized like I started doing things but it was just from like a clear space like no I want to do this because I want to help you or I want to like you know hold this door for you because you need help you know it, it was, it's like it's like it cleared away all the cobwebs of like the formative years stuff mm -hmm. is that are you are you on a similar train with all that stuff or did you yeah no I feel like it kind of goes to what we were talking about earlier. Like when I'm feeling resistance, I try not to fight it. You know what I mean? So like if I am feeling overwhelmed with like all the things I want to help with and I just can't because I don't have time or I don't have my own resources or whatever, I do find myself like getting into that kind of overwhelm. And then like exactly kind of what, or I was interpreting what you're saying is like, I kind of go into that where I just shut down a little bit and I do kind of like reset. And then it's like, okay, like, do I have enough from my own well to pour from? Can I like, you know, and it, I, I would say like now I'm a recovering people pleaser. <laughs> totally. totally. And you work with clients who it's really nice just because like at any time, like if it's not working in a relationship, in a business relationship, each party just is free to like move on, you know? And like my clients across both my businesses are paying me to tell them what to do or tell them, give them guidance. So they're not telling, or they're more so they're not paying me to please them. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not my role. Like my role is to make them successful and legal and, you know, stay out of tax trouble and be happy and have work-life balance, not the opposite so yeah yeah nice that's interesting yeah recovering people pleaser <laughs> mm -hmm. do you think that <clears throat> i guess i i guess it's all just so interesting like the formative years stuff and then like the ego and then uh like the ego versus the soul concept and your ego was formed as a child uh, by like your formative situation with your parents. And then you like uh, develop this like personality from that, that has these like inclinations and whatnot. But then when you're in your soul space, there's no, I guess that's where like the people pleaser shuts off. And then you're just like in your, you're just doing things. You're just being you. And when you're in your soul and you, it's like comes from a good place anyway. So you're going to do good things in mm -hmm. general, but it's not from like a, I'm trying to get any energy from anything or anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's almost like I've moved on from even being a recovering people pleaser to like 
just pleasing myself, right? Like I'm no longer compromising myself to be around people, including family, that just doesn't make me feel good. You know what I mean? I, I read something the other day, I think it was like a social media post or something that like you need to have people that are really like they want to see you succeed. Like they're really excited to be, they delight in your presence. Right. And then I started like taking inventory in my life of like making sure that who I'm interacting with delights me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it's cool that we're to this place in human history, because before that, like, I mean, like you said, your parents bless their hearts. Like they just, th these questions weren't being asked. No, it was a different time. Yeah. Like none of this shit was even like evaluated or thought about the concept of therapy. Like before 10 years ago, it was like, oh, you go to therapy? Are you? I know, right? Crazy? It's even talk about. Right. And now it's like, mm, everybody should go to therapy. Because so everybody's got shit. Make a point to plug therapy because I think it's such a, so many people, everybody can benefit from working with a therapist. Oh, yeah. And it's not like they're fixing you, making you not crazy. There's like, I mean, there's degrees of need for therapy, but like everybody has formative experiences that have shaped them for good and for bad. And like, I've had these experiences in my life that I didn't even realize were triggers that right. were triggering me in the present moment as I was living my life, which were causing headaches and problems with people around me that didn't need to happen. And then like diving into the past and untangling all the shit and then being like oh and then seeing it with like a compassionate lens yes so that i can exist in the present moment better and yeah even what my therapist has me do is go back to those situations and like be in that situation and like send like love and light to myself in that situation and like she's like it works it helps i promise i'm like I'll do whatever you say. <laughs> yeah. My, I guess I'll call her my therapist. She has me do the same thing where, you know, I'll talk about something that happened recently. It triggered me, whatever. And then she'll be like, how old, like it, it'll tie back to a childhood event. Generally, how old are you feeling? Right. Right. In that moment, in that moment, when you're upset, how old do you feel? And then like close my eyes and feel into that. And then a memory will come up from when I was like five at a barbecue and this happened, whatever I, you know, like whatever. And it'll, and that same energy, the same feeling will tie together. And then what she'll have me do is like sit with my inner child and then like ask me, little me, what I needed, what I need. And a lot of times it's like, I, I just feel sad or I feel like, upset because this happened or whatever and so then you can like energetically sit with your inner child from when you're five and like put your arm around him and be like it's okay little taylor and then it unravels the the, the present it's so nuts it's wild yeah i think that the goal in therapy is not to fix you it's to give you resources and to give you tools yeah so you can fix yourself or 
I think I saw another thing recently that said that your triggers will never go away, but you can be resourced and have the tools on how to like manage them as they come up. Some things you just can't, or like you will never know what all your triggers are is the other thing, right? They'll always come. Yeah, keep coming. Mm -hmm. Because we're like an onion with an infinite number of layers. Mm-hmm. but like therapy is it's like a tool it's like a owner's manual to your own life and without it you have no idea how anything under the hood works and so then when things break down it's just a disaster whereas like you open the owner's man- manual and you're like oh I see that I sprung a leak right there I'm gonna need to replace this part or change it out or whatever <laughs> it's more complex than cars but you know <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, is there anything else you feel like mentioning or saying to the human beings? Hi, I mean, thanks for listening. If you made it this far, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. That's all I really got. It was fun. Yeah. This is like podcast interview, so there's that. Oh, really? Yep. <laughs> well, good. Um, I'll I'll have you back on the show again, maybe next next season. We'll do it again. Let's yeah, no. You excited to see where I'm at in a year or whenever that is? Totally, totally. Yep. Adam Fallick, I'm getting him on. He was the he was the number one episode, the first one, and I'll be having him on again soon. Yeah, see, and Adam, I'll always have a very soft spot and a permanent memory in my heart for Adam because of New York. Yep. <laughs> that guy's great <laughs> fun. all right well lala you are the best oh, thanks for having me taylor thanks for being on uh, i'll see you at our meeting on monday all right bye Larry. bye that right there my friends was lara austin she is fantastic i will tell you this from personal experience, knowing the human being for years and years. Uh, That was really fun. It's cool because we know each other on so many different levels and uh, she's a very wise human being. She's really smart and she's wise. And those are two very different things, Uh, but she's got both dialed in quite well, which is why I hired her as my online business manager. Which, if you're a creative, I highly recommend it. If you're, if you're an entrepreneur, if you have a small business in any way, and you don't have to dive in huge right off the bat. Like, like we said, we, we just did like one hour a month for the first like six months. Which, if I could go back, I would have dove all in right off the bat. If I could, you know, hindsight's 2020. Um, it would have, I would have just gotten things up and running a lot faster but it was what it was and starting out slow felt comfortable at the time so that's cool um but yeah I can't really say enough to how valuable it is to have somebody helping organize and cover the bases and um and have it be a setup you know where it's a win-win for everybody you know like they're doing the thing that they're really good at and getting paid for it and you don't have to do the things that you're not very good at. Because really it comes down to like, we only have so much time and energy. And uh, if you're wasting your time and energy on the things that you're not 
set up that well at, then that's time that you're not spending doing the thing that you're really good at. And I mean, at the beginning of a business, you really want to like know all the different pieces and the parts and you want, you want to know what's going on, but you maybe don't necessarily need to do it all. And then as you get farther down the line, you like what we're doing is like setting up systems and getting things in place, like financial systems, tax systems, like um, standard operating procedures and workflows and all these different things so that I can basically spend most of my time painting or doing this podcast, which is great. These are the things I love to do. So uh, it works out really nicely. So yeah, that and uh, if you have any issues that you ever want to talk about with anybody, find a therapist because it's awesome. It really can help you work through some things. And it's nice to work through things with a therapist and then and then go hang out with your friends. You know, and you can talk to your friends about whatever you need, but you do the actual like work is being done with someone professional. Because friends are great and they'll listen to you, but they're not your therapists. <laughs> they're your friends. There's a very, very big difference. That's it. I think that's all I got for today. So thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate it. Cheers.